Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 184 for Monday, March 14th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello! You may know me better as Pixel Riffs, you probably know Joel as Joel Duggan. You might know both of us from streaming, and that's what we've been talking about in The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast which patrons can get. So if you're interested in hearing us talk more about what we do on the weekends when we stream, you can listen to that. If you're a patron, you can sign up at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. And thank you to our Patreon chat for listening in live in the Discord as well. It's great to have so many of you here. So what have you been up to in Minecraft this week, my friend? This week, I have been moss mining a chunk of a mountain biome all the way down to bedrock. And this was something that we we talked about a bit, I think, when moss was first introduced. We maybe yes. talked about it a bit in, in 117. But in 118 is really where the magic happens, because there's so much more of the world to mine. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing that. I decided to take a look at ore distribution by sampling a chunk. And I don't have a beacon in the survival guide world yet, and so I thought, why not do this with moss, introduce the concept of moss mining to people, and... I am finding that it's not only a good substitute for a beacon, I am thanking myself for it now we've reached deep slate level. <laughs> because I started at Y214, which was basically like the highest mountain peak I could find within a, a reasonable flight radius of my spawn area. Um, and now we're at Y negative 36, which has taken about eight hours total, I think. Wow. Because I did this on two, three hour streams and also did two hours worth of work for a, for a YouTube video. So um, I started off using bones for bone meal and, you know, getting all of those from my mob farm. And I brought a shulker box worth of bones with me and thought, okay, this is probably going to do me for a while. And I stopped doing that when I filled up my storage system with moss because I didn't want to compost the moss at first. I wanted to actually take some blocks home with me. And then suddenly three double chests and a handful of hoppers of moss later, I realized that I don't need to collect any more blocks. And we were only at like Y100 two or something like that so pretty soon i started composting everything i collected from moss mining this area out and i have not needed to go and get more bone meal since <laughs> so it's working pretty well and now we're at deep slate level i'm pretty sure moss is going to be faster than using a beacon would be anyway because you know deep slate can't be instamined using efficiency and haste the way regular stone can but you can still instamine it if you convert it all to moss. So I'm not worried about getting the stone blocks to take away. I'm more worried about exposing all of the ores, and I'm leaving them all in place right now so that I can just put like a ladder or a scaffold or something like that right at the top of the world, and then sort of slowly inch my way down explaining where the levels of ore distribution lie and how higher up in the mountain you get more iron and coal and then the iron basically disappears again until you get down to like below sea level and around Y16 where the iron is supposed to be most concentrated. And it's working really well so far, like it's a really interesting illustration of where some stuff is. I've also found that infested stone, the stone that has silverfish inside of it, does not get moss doesn't spread to it it's not like moss spreadable so i've also left a couple of patches that look like normal innocent stone and deep slate but turn out to be silverfish stone so i'll get to talk about that a bit as well that's interesting that they don't change the silverfish stone mm -hmm. and uh i mean i guess in a good way because it lets you know where they are it's yeah. like a core sample like you're doing a giant core sample of, yes of the world yeah that's absolutely really cool and, and it also gets me emerald ore, which I'm very happy about. Oh, there <laughs> but, you go, yeah. Um, there's, there's a couple of instances where it's led me to dig down into a cave 
area. Like, there was one pretty significant cave early on. I say early on, probably around, like, Y70 or something. But then there was one a bit further down as well. But even then, there have been sections of the cave wall that have been part of it. So it's not like we're necessarily missing out on ore generation because air replaced it. And ever since we got to the deep slate layers, we had maybe one or two side caves... But then beyond that, it's been a solid area. So I didn't end up... What My nightmare in this situation was starting a project like this and then getting down to about Y30 and then it being a deep slate cave all the way down to, like, the low negative coordinates. <laughs> yeah. It, it yeah. didn't end up being that in the end. So, so I think it's going to be a decent sample of all distribution and... I'm going to try and kind of compare that to the chart that Mojang published with the, the update and kind of say, this is what all distribution looks like. We can see those, like, effectively, like, larger regions of ores start to take effect. The lower down you get, the higher up you get, and so on and so forth. And that's really just going to be a guideline for, like, okay, where should we go mining if we want to get copper? Where should we go mining if we want to get coal and iron and then redstone and gold and that kind of stuff? And then we can talk about specializing for those ores a little bit later. It's definitely changing. Uh, in some of the content that I've been watching, I've noticed some some people that have, haven't bothered to read up on it are just like, I'm just going to go do what I've always done. And they come back empty-handed. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, that's interesting. That's really, really, really interesting. And the other thing that I've picked up on as well is just how big and how often um, folks that I'm watching are running into giant caves. Yes. And it, I would imagine for you, it would be bad. Uh, to run into something like that but every time i'm watching someone that's like oh here we go i gotta dig down to bedrock which is now 64 blocks farther away they end up in a cave that reminds me of the moment when the balrog and gandalf are fighting and, <laughs> yes. and it's like he's falling through space and time and it's this huge cavern underground and i'm just like yeah like that's what it looks like because one minute they're in like a two by two tunnel and the next minute they're falling like 45 blocks to the floor of the cave below mm -hmm. and it's cool but like if you if you want a tunnel like if you want some sort of vertical thing if you're making a water uh, a water elevator you've got to put the blocks back in <laughs> yes yeah. you're not you're not going to have any walls yeah and it's it's a really neat way of like you said taking that kind of core sample and, and looking at where everything goes for now mm. um it has meant that i needed to mend my hoe a lot which is never something i thought i'd really have to do all that much but with it being the effective tool for mining moss it was yeah it, it's Every maybe 30 or 40 layers of moss I'm finding myself, because it's a 16 by 16 area, it's not small, but I'm having to, to go and repair things. So I was running out of a source of XP pretty quickly, and I'd gone to, you know, my villagers for XP a couple of times, but the way I set up my village, it wasn't like a trading hall kind of environment. The village itself is a lot more organic, and so I'm running around after people. They're resetting their trades twice a day, and I don't always bring all of the resources that I can possibly bring to get XP as quickly as possible. So I decided to build a better XP farm, and I ended up building Nembon's Ender Mini Enderman Farm. So that's in today's video on my YouTube channel, and it's... Um, uh, it's still a very impressive XP farm. This is the uh, the farm with a spawning platform built as low as possible in the end, so it's basically like at void level, and everything is spawning on one very small platform, but it fills up the mob cap like that because it's, you know, as low as possible in the world and there's no other blocks nearby. So luring Endermen in with an Endermite, killing them all with Sweeping Edge, and... Now I'm, you know, suddenly I've got 50 levels again and yeah, all my tools are repairing within a minute standing there. It's the one that produces more XP than you can actually physically gather 
so it's it's pretty fun and i'm very happy that i've done that now because it feels like a a step in quality of life it's something that i can return to i know is going to be there and it's going to be reliable and unlike the villagers i don't need to make sure that the next day has started and they've reached like work time so that they can unlock their trades again and that kind of thing because i was finding if i went away from the village i was usually leaving right when their work day ended and before they get a chance to sleep and start working again and so when i return they haven't had a chance to unlock their trades again yet and i'm waiting around for five minutes before i can even trade with them so I, I, I'm finding that having a better XP farm is just going to be way more convenient. And the next thing I need to do is make the Stronghold Portal more accessible, because right now it's a two-wide bridge across a lava lake in the nether, and it's a little bit hairy even if I'm wearing a light at the time. Yeah, even with wings. I don't like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. three, three wide minimum Yeah, <laughs> is, and, and us is usually how I roll. It goes through a crimson forest biome as well, which continues out into the lava lake, because lava lakes are still part of the adjoining biomes. And so when I was going there the other day, two hoglins spawned on the bridge as I was flying into land. <laughs> and I had to basically like, abort, abort! And I was just <laughs> taking off again and firing at them from a distance. But yeah, gosh, that was, that was a moment. <laughs> Luckily, they're afraid of nether portals, so I could still go to the stronghold without them harassing me but it was uh, it was touch and go there for a second there's a great moment from superman returns that always pops into my head and stuff like that when the initial superman saving the plane crash happens the autopilot speaker is saying to the to the uh airline pilots fly up fly mm -hmm. up as they're like nose diving into a baseball diamond and it's like yeah, yeah. no kidding fly up and uh -huh. I, that goes through my head whenever i have to like pull up with a lighter like nope nope there's a creeper there <laughs> like he yeah, wasn't yeah. supposed to be there or he wasn't there two seconds ago mm -hmm. that happens a lot yeah uh, i with with um with the enderman farm like i we've got one on on the citadel and i didn't build one with the platform as low 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 as you can go uh we had one that was higher I don't remember why it was at the height that it was at, but it wasn't for like dropping the Enderman. It had something to do with their, their um, teleport range, but it was an El Mango design that I copied and it just never seemed to work very well. Mm -hmm. And so then I raised it up even higher. So it's a slightly slower farm in terms of spawning, but they're one hit when they're at the bottom in yeah. the collection chamber. And uh, we've never really got it to work like fast enough to be viable. Our, our fastest XP farm is the gold farm in the nether. Yeah, no, I think the gold farm is probably better because I think it's piglins and guardians, zombie piglins specifically, will drop larger XP orbs. And so like, I, uh, I find that if you compare them side by side, it feels like you're getting more XP from the farm, even though they're supposed to drop the same amount. I think maybe you get a little bit extra if some of them have armor or something like that. But um, I think the way the piglin farm works is they drop larger XP orbs. So you're getting three or five XP per orb, whereas with Endermen, they drop lots of little ones. And so you're having uh, to absorb them one at a time, you know? I um, see. Okay. But in, in terms of the spawn rate thing, like, yeah, building it as low as possible in the void is best. But then you don't get the advantage of having the full damage aspect part of it. Right. So you have to have sweeping edge and a decent sharpness sword to be dealing damage to that many mobs at once whereas like all you need is a sword that can do the sweep attack you don't need sweeping edge if they're all going to be on on one hit's worth of damage anyway so i think both farms have their advantages as long as it's you know what you want for for mending your tools and getting xp for enchanting and all of that kind of stuff but yeah it takes all kinds i find that i started with a guardian farm in the last season of survival guide i think i'm happier starting with an enderman farm this time 
but mainly because I don't need as much in the way of Prismarine and things like that yet. And I think I'll, <laughs> I'll probably get to the point where I have all three of the farms eventually. I want to do a Guardian farm. There's a spot on the Citadel where I could potentially have two ocean monuments within range of one another. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that would hit the mob cap, though. So it would be more of a spectacle because I can than, than to really have any kind of advantage. And I would just want it for, like, all the Prismarine. I'm waiting for, like, that, you know, elf kingdom or futuristic, you know, space something where I need, you know, all the Prismarine stuff where I'll make that an excuse. We have a guardian farm, but it's not super it's not super fast because the the entire monument isn't drained, it's just the inside. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a sli slightly slower farm, but we're not a big server, so we didn't need anything, you know, completely monstrous. Yeah, speaking of the citadel, what have you been up to this week? Uh we are still in Lowtown. Uh I've been really digging the the builds in Lowtown. Uh it's it's really satisfying to have um like three or four builds go up even in a stream or even in a weekend. Because, uh, I mean, it's me, so it's a, it's a weekend because <laughs> it takes mm -hmm. me three hours to build a four by five house. But um, because of the scale of everything, there is a challenge uh, with materials. Everything is so close together. You're trying not to um, copy roof colors. You kind of want everything to stand out from a silhouette standpoint. And, and you yeah. don't want, you know, two, two spruce roofs next to each other just looks like one spruce roof. You mm -hmm. kind of have to space things out. But it's been fun to kind of like figure out some new roof arrangements. Like what can I do to a simple spruce roof to make it stand out more, make it a little bit different. Uh, we've got a, a deep slate roof. Um, not everything is finished as far as texture goes. Like I still need to make another pass and a few things. So sometimes it's just like a flat block across the roof. But I need to add like, you know, cobble deep slate and maybe throw in a couple of, of um, trap doors here to make things look a little bit rougher. Um, but we added uh, a couple of fishing huts. We added a barn that's on an angle. Uh, we added uh, a storehouse and then a couple of just like, I say they're general dwellings, but they're like the combination of like river access fishing house, but they're not big enough inside to actually have like both the stairs to get down to the river and room for like a bed and a stove and stuff. Mm -hmm. So my solution has been to add lofts inside, not furnished yet, so I don't have any screenshots, but essentially by using trapdoors and slabs, I've been able to put like a ladder up two blocks that has like a sleeping loft. So you could have a bed and like a candle and a table up there. And what I've done for the, the lack of room inside for cooking, I've made like an outside cook fire. Uh, and have that be kind of like in the little courtyards that kind of appear when you've got like two or three houses that back onto one another. And so there's like a five block gap. And I thought, well, that's a really good place to put an outside chimney. And then I think I put like one of the, we've got mini blocks from Vanilla Tweaks on the server. So um, jungle blocks as mini blocks look like meat. They look like meat on a stick. Mm -hmm. So uh, jungle logs. Yeah. So I did that and and it's it's been really coming together nicely. It's been fun building like mostly for aesthetics. Like some of the buildings have functions, but they're not. If you look too closely, there's really nothing going on. They're more of a yeah. a shell. Uh, the challenging part has definitely been, um, I want to say, the choosing the right blocks and getting the right textures and stuff to work without it feeling boring, you know, because yeah. we talked about it last week where some of the materials that would work uh, like a lot of stone make it feel nicer than I want it to be. I want it to look run down in like shacks and, and, and cobbled together things. And so we're getting there, but the, the, ne the next phase is going to be adding things like um, livestock pens. And um, I've got another 
couple of Riverside places, but really it's more than half done now because I don't want to build too close to the south gate because building tall buildings close to the wall defeats the purpose of having a giant wall to protect mm-hmm. the town. So, yeah. Um, but that's where I'm at. It's just been fun. It's been really simple, straightforward, you know, like stream, you log in and you're just, you're going to do the building next to the building. So there's no big plan. The only thing that I found technique wise that has been um, advantageous that I'm going to be using from now on is that when I'm building um, a house on one side of the street or road, at the very least on the other side of the road, I have to have the frame of the other houses. So mm-hmm. just a quick box of cobblestone and like a peak with some wood and just a quick wireframe, just so I can understand, okay, how close is this? Like, should I be making this road more narrow? How much leeway do I have with this roof? So before I fit in all the details in the house, I want to make sure I don't want to move it. And I find that having the wireframes on the other side of the, of the street really, really help. But um, it's been really fun to just not have a layout for everything. I've, I'm walking into empty grass places. Like, I'm not sure what I'm going to build here. Let's figure it out today and just kind of go off the cuff. And that's been really fun. Yeah. I I think it's, it's interesting to see the approaches you can take to building that stuff. I like the idea of having wireframes up there to be like, what are the sight lines? You know, what does this person immediately see when they're walking out of their front door and like how you can shape the road and stuff like that. It's something I've been thinking about when it comes to building a town project on the surface because right now I'm building in a cave and naturally I'm craving daylight and the sky and everything else. Um, But I think when I come to build a town, I think a lot of it is probably going to start off as either wireframes or just like solid blocks of stone being like, this is a street that leads up a hill and around a corner. Let me at least block off the areas where I feel like there's going to be this kind of upwards row of houses or something like that. And that gives you a much better look at the overall picture of the place so that you can work on the finer detail and you kind of allow yourself to 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 take license with that but it's good that you can get into a flow regardless of what approach you're taking at that point and it, it's always nice when you can build like three or four houses in different styles and you're like okay we've got momentum with this area now it's starting to feel like more than just a couple of isolated dwellings it really feels like a a community at that stage and the, the other thing that I'm finding too with those sight lines and those wireframes is that you can use the different colors you're planning on using and then immediately go, oh, nope, I can't use, you know, spruce there. I have to go with like oak or dark oak or something like that mm-hmm. because it, it, it either clashes with something that's right next to it or uh, because I've got the entire town in the background, you know, having too much dark oak in the roofs take away from the big towering dark oak roofs that are part of like the keep and the south gate and the west gate and all that kind of stuff. So the sightline thing has been important. That's basically what I've been, when people have come into the chat and been asking, like, that's how I'm deciding what I want to build somewhere. It's like, okay, I need something tall over there to break up this empty space. So I'll put a tower or something. Or I, or I say, oh, I don't want this roof to get too tall because I don't want it to block the view of the keep or something like that. Cause I kind of want that keep to be visible from just about everywhere. You know, that's yeah. kind of the approach I'm taking. So, but it's been fun. It's, it's worked out pretty well. Yeah. Nice to have like a focal point for the town. And I think the wireframe thing also helps you with like motivation as well, because you, you leave the door of the house that you've just finished and you're like, well, there's my next project right in front of me. And you, exactly. can, kind of, you can immediately think, well, there's still more stuff to do around here. So I like the approach and it looks like it's coming together really well. You can also leave things up, like leave a wireframe up for a stream or two. And if it starts to bug you, then you're like, okay, I got to make that smaller or I have to move it back or something like that. And then if you have to move it, it's just a wireframe. It yeah, takes it's a minimum minutes. hassle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, sounds good. Let's get into the news. This week, we have the Minecraft Bedrock Edition Beta Preview 1.18.30.22-23. New experimental features, the Allay. If the Allay is holding an item in its hand, it can collect the same items from the world around it. If an Allay is holding an item it got from a player, it will follow that player. If an Allay has an item in its inventory, it will attempt to give them to its owner. The LA is able to drop items at nearby note blocks. When playing a note block near an LA, that note block becomes the LA's favorite. And the note block will remain the favorite for 30 seconds. And the LA will attempt to drop off items to the note block rather than the player. The LA sometimes spawns in cages near pillager outposts, similar to an iron golem, and inside woodland mansions. Known issues with the LA, the LA may get stuck in a loop, collecting and delivering one item from its inventory, especially when similar blocks types are being used, such as regular sand and red sand. Skulk updates in this beta. Change the Skulk Catalyst block to match a recent design. Uh, this is something we talked about on the Deep Dark Experimental Snapshot uh, for Java. Made some changes to Skulk sensors to be at parity with Java Edition. They now make no activation sound when waterlogged. Vibrations are now also occluded by wool blocks. Updated touch controls enabled preview of new touch control schemes for players on mobile devices. They can be enabled by navigating to settings, touch, enable new touch control schemes. The team is looking for feedback on these via the link in the beta preview changelog. We'll of course have a link to that post in the show notes. Uh, other game changes and bug fixes. Shulkers now have a chance to spawn another shulker when hit by a shulker projectile and villagers are no longer able to trade when on fire, which laugh. <laughs> there, there are a bunch of other bug fixes and gameplay changes on the changelog. I just thought the villagers no longer able to trade was on fire was hilarious. <laughs> so I thought we'd we'd include that along with along with the fact that uh, shelker farms are now viable as of this beta on Bedrock Edition, which is cool because that was a mechanic that wasn't in their version of the wild update in the in the one eighteen. Uh, sorry, the uh, the caves and cliffs update part two. Uh, so so people haven't been able to make shulker farms on bedrock the way they have on java and now that seems like it's a mechanic that's coming to to bedrock edition as well uh one more thing before we get into the discussion uh microsoft account migration is now mandatory for anybody who plays java edition so as of march 10th there should have been notice about this in the launcher and they've been rolling it out slowly in a voluntary kind of way but Anybody logging into a Mojang account to play Minecraft Java Edition now will be required sooner or later to migrate their account to a Microsoft account. Um, we have a link to the Java Edition account migration FAQ in our show notes if anyone is concerned about that. And uh, we'll probably report back on that a little bit later because I have a second account that I use for Java Edition that I haven't rolled into a uh, Microsoft account yet. So I'll be talking a little bit in future about how that process has been having migrated my main account already but typically preferring to work with two accounts for spectator mode in a ostensibly single player world that's some stuff i'm going to be looking into but no opinions on that as yet just overall uh wanted to give everybody a heads up if you're a java player so what do you think about the la so far i have not really had a chance to look at it it it, it feels like a shame because i i wanted to hop into the beta and take a look but i've been so kind of you know taken up with the stuff I've been doing in Java and I was kind of thinking I wouldn't make a, a video about it myself and, and kind of give my opinion until it arrives in Java because I'm much more comfortable with Java as a testing environment. I think there's some stuff that players can do on Bedrock when it comes to sorting systems and things like that that 
I don't think are possible in Java Edition. Things like movable tile entities, movable hoppers, movable chests, that kind of thing. That um, I was thinking, you know, the Allay is a really good, you know, substitute for stuff like that on Java Edition because it's something that we can rely upon to move around. So I didn't really feel like I wanted to try it out in Bedrock Edition and then go, well, actually, there's a way Bedrock Edition can already do what I'm trying to do without this new mob. Uh, so I haven't really messed around with it all that much, sad to say. Um, but I'm I'm excited to see it arriving in the beta, and I'm still reckoning with all of the stuff that we got in 1.18 and the experimental snapshots for the Deep Dark and the Warden, which we'd known about for a lot longer. I keep forgetting we're getting the Allay so soon. Um, the the yeah. fact that we, we voted on it as recently as Mine Minecraft Live back in sort of September-October time, and we're already looking at it in-game is is quite exciting to me. I uh, didn't mess with it myself, but I watched a couple of videos from a friend of the show, Eximovoid, and uh, I usually turn to that kind of stuff with Bedrock, especially because I just, for me, it's like, do I want to go through the hassle of like installing the beta? And like, I don't know, I don't know the controls. I don't know exactly how to test things quite as well in, in Bedrock, like you said. Um, so I just rely on other very knowledgeable people to do it for me <laughs> and and really that information to me in a, in a short consumable video. Um, I think one thing that you'll benefit from by not messing around with it until it does hit Java is that um, to me, it still feels very much like a work in progress. Yeah, uh, it's mm -hmm. cool that we're seeing it in game, but I think we're seeing a very early version of it in game. Um, so anything that I have to say today, I want to put a big asterisk and be like, I understand it's a work in progress. I'm just commenting on what I've seen because that's all I can comment on. Um, you don't know what directions they might take it, you know, down the line. Um, I, the first thing that I took away from from X's first video was that it doesn't so much drop items on a note block so much as it very inaccurately throws them rapidly right. okay <laughs> it's like a fire hose spray it's it's not like it walks up to a note block and goes pink it just kind of like it looks at the note block just long enough for an item to leave its inventory in a small arc and then it turns away to go get another one so it's like i don't know have you ever been to like a bottle sorting plant where people are just kind of like throwing bottles like left right and center and like you don't uh -huh. they know what they're doing but you don't know what they're doing and stuff yeah. is just flying that's what it looks like uh, so it's it's very dramatic. And um, after watching a, a few other, you know, test things about like remembering note blocks, remembering note blocks for 30 seconds doesn't seem overly useful for me. Mm -hmm. I hope that changes. I, I can understand that they don't want it to be permanent because then it's kind of like a set it and forget it. And like, that's not fun. You you, you kind of want some sort of interaction. Um, but 30 seconds the LA will just drop off a couple of items and then it comes back to the player. And if you wanted it to clean up like a bunch of stuff, it's going to forget long before it's done where you wanted it to go. Yeah. So then you have to put your note block on a timer. And I just, my brain just kind of went to like, if I want five or six LA's in an area doing something like this, I, that's going to sound like church bells constantly. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah. just make sure your LA farm is 15 blocks or more away from where you hang out because you may not want to listen to this constantly. My immediate reaction to that is like, can you play the note block without it making a sound? Because you know how you'll put something on yeah. top of the, the note block in it, it will prevent the sound. Is the LA reacting to the note block being activated? or does it have to be able to produce a sound for it to work did that come up in any of the videos you watched no um because the the blocks were always making noises they yeah, always uh -huh. had air above them 
um, because they were next to hoppers. And the way that um, they were set up was that it was two observers facing into each other. So it wasn't like it was a single ding. <laughs> it was like it was like someone mashing on your doorbell constantly. Yeah, it was like a 30 hertz clock kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But you do get you do get the um the same uh sort of I don't know if they're exactly the same, but the same sort of particles that you get from a skulk sensor when it sends an audio signal back to a skulk screaker. Right. Uh-huh. You yeah. see that the allay from the note block to the allay has like a little back and forth. It's almost like sonar, like you're watching sonar mm. in a cartoon go back and forth. So it's very obvious which note block the LA is going to. Right. Um, but because of the 30 second thing, you also can't stop dinging one note block, start dinging another and have it switch. You have to wait for it to forget entirely first and then it'll, then it'll go to the new one. But like, depending on how far things are, are, are away, um, how are you on like spoilers for things like, you know, t- talking about a little bit of the code that, that they delved into to figure out things like ranges and things like oh, that. Oh yeah, I, I don't mind. It's the kind of stuff okay. I'll probably find out for myself anyway, so. Right. So the, ra- the range on picking up blocks is 30 blocks. Uh, it's unclear whether that's spherical or cuboid, but 30 blocks is a decent is a decent radius uh or i should say it's probably a diameter um but like that's not a small area like you that's more than ample for like a storage system or something like that if you've got an delay moving things around yeah uh, i thought that was really cool um the other things I, that were brought to my attention were was that uh they will group blocks so if you tell it to pick up wool it will pick up all kinds of wool yeah so different colors that kind of thing same with terracotta yeah, that, that's something I saw Prowl talking about on Twitter, saying it, if you give it stone, it would pick up all the decorative stone types as well. Basically things that maybe share like a common tag or something like that. And then does that mean if it picks up stone slabs and stairs as well? Like, you know, should it do that? And one of the devs chimed in and said that was something they were going to discuss because... Uh, the original design was that the LA was only going to pick up the exact item it was given. But then if you think about that in the context of unstackable items like enchanted swords, like you can't give it a regular sword and then have it only pick up an unenchanted iron sword if you want it to then go and collect like all of the enchanted diamond stuff that's dropped on the ground or like, you know, enchanted equipment from mobs as they drop it that kind of thing so there's some instances in which that is a desirable outcome and some instances in what in which you want it to be a lot more precise in what it chooses to collect and it would almost be better if we could like somehow toggle between the two but i've no idea how you make that intuitive and the thing is like if you're dealing with something like stone or sand or things that you're going to be having in mass quantity you're going to be more efficient at moving that kind of stuff around than an LA is. Yeah. It's it's only when you have things that are less so, like redstone or diamonds or things that you might want to be more specific with that I think the LA might have a possibility to shine. Uh, the the last clip that I watched, um, which is just before the show this morning, was um, uh, Exumavoid was mining in a desert and he had like three or four LA with him, kind of like survival style. And they were just in the way. Like they were yeah. just constantly mm-hmm. in front of him and he was trying not to smack him in the face with a shovel. Yeah. So, I, you know, we discussed it a, a few months ago or a few weeks ago in the show. Um, it's probably months now where we were talking about having an LA with you and maybe picking up stuff behind you that you might have missed while you're mining. And I, you forget that the LA is going to go where the blocks are. And if the blocks are in front of you, that that means the LA is going to go in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It might not be such a big deal if you're mining stone because that's going to take you longer to mine through depending on whether or not you have a beacon. But sand is pretty fast to mine, so you get a lot of it kicking around on the floor quite quickly. So very, very early on, the LA were in the way in the desert. And so I, again, 
big asterisk work in progress. Uh, I, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it. Um, I, the one thing that I noticed that I hope they, they work on more is that I understand that Minecraft mobs, specifically new ones, have an existing like, um, like nature to kind of work into like pigs they they're weird looking sheep same thing but we all know and love them in terms of their quirkiness and how they look things like that um so new mobs tend to have a very simple very blocky kind of like a, appeal to them but i'm hoping that they maybe update the animation to something a little bit more new something with a little mm -hmm. bit more squash and stretch or settle um i really like the bees and the bees don't have a lot of wing flap, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. There's something about the way that the LA flies across the ground and gradually goes up and down and up and down. And its wings are kind of flapping softly. And I understand that this is not a real creature. It's like a fairy. But it feels weird. It's like because of the weird parabola that it's traveling along and the way that its wings flapped, it's like its wings are flapping at the wrong time. Like its wings flap down and then it goes down and then it goes up while its wings flaps up and that changes from time to time. And so it looks strange. Um, I would almost like to see it have like hummingbird wings, you know, mm -hmm. like something that's beating so fast that you can't really see it. Maybe it's just like a blur animation in the same way that the the saw blade on the stone cutter rotates, you know, um, I think that would be cool. Cause then it could fly around a little bit more like a bee, almost like a helicopter. Um, but, um, it, like it, it needs something a little bit more. Cause right now it like, it feels very Minecrafty, but it feels very Minecrafty from like 2014, you know? Yeah. And uh -huh. so again, work in progress. I I'm not like being too harsh on it, but like, I'm hoping that there's a little bit more, a little bit more to it in the coming, coming weeks and months. I'm trying to remember how the Vex fly, and then I remember that I've only really looked at Vex from the perspective of, oh, I need to run away from this. So I haven't really spent a great deal of time looking at how fast their wings flap. Um, but speaking of Vexes, actually, one thing that we haven't chatted about yet is how you find Allays in the first place, and them being captives of Illagers, it seems like. You free them from the Pillager outpost cages, like where they've normally got Iron Golems uh, caged up. Or I believe what people said was they could be found in the prison areas, like the prison room that sometimes generates in woodland mansions. And first of all, it's kind of strange that we're not going to find these like in the wild, as it were. And it seems like those are not necessarily spawning locations. It's more that they generate with the structure. So the implication right now is that unless there is a way to breed them, we're not going to be able to get more of them we just have to find them from those specific locations and they might be persistent they don't despawn or anything but there's a limited number of them and you'd have to go further afield to get more of them which kind of makes sense i suppose because they seem like quite a powerful thing once we figure out how best to use them but at the same time there's lore implications of that are the pillagers and and the the woodland mansion illagers capturing these so the evokers can turn them into vexes and that kind of relationship seems to be almost like the other way around from what we expected, where, you know, maybe Vexes and Allays just kind of coexist. It's much more like the Evokers are converting them in some way, which which is kind of sinister when you think about it. And I think it reinforces the idea that, like, well, why is this thing helping you as the player out? 
well, yeah. now we know. You know, yeah, like you've kind of rescued you free, it. Yeah, yeah, you free it from a prison on, at a pilger outpost, and it's gonna be pretty grateful. So it's like I'm gonna follow you around, my friend. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah, I like that. I like it's. It's not a super deep lore, but I think it's enough that it it makes sense. Um, I don't necessarily know that or think that we need to be able to breed them because I think finding two or three of them is gonna be hard enough as it is. Um. And then once you have them, like, I don't know that you're going to need or find it all that useful to have four or five of them. Yeah. Um, I I think it's the kind of thing that would just add a lot of life to a, a, a base, even if you're not using it as like functioning, you know, sorting things, even if you just have it programmed to just like, I'm going to get it to pick up this diamond and I'm going to get it to deposit in this other note block across my base. And then when it's there, it's going to pick up something else, like another diamond, and just take it back and forth. Yeah. And just to have it animate in your in your base, like just to have like a little LA butler flying around, you know? yeah. like just yeah. for no other reason. That seemed to be kind of their mission statement with the mobs from this mob vote was adding life to bases. You know, having the the glare be able to float around and 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 look for for dark spots for you. Have the copper golem be able to walk around and press buttons, and you know, adding a bit more animation to your base environment. So if the LA can still do that, then then that's great. I, I'm curious about you know. Woodland mansions are kind of a tricky proposition because there isn't really a reason to go to them right now. Adding something as valuable as a lays to it could make them much more of a destination, but then they're often so difficult to find and you have to go so far away to do it that I think people are going to just be raiding pillager outposts for them more on account of pillager outposts spawning in like five or six different biomes, whereas woodland mansions only occur in one and they're fairly few and far between. So I kind of wonder at how valuable it's going to be adding them to woodland mansions in the first place but i also want the woodland mansions to be given value by having something like that as an incentive to go to them so it's kind of a weird catch-22 with how they spawn but yeah i am i am curious to see if anything about that changes if they might be like an incredibly rare spawn in you know a mangrove or a birch forest like they were in the introductory video or if that's just the kind of thing that it's going to stick to these two locations so that they are tied in with the Illager law specifically. What do you say we move on to Chunk Mail? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, if you'd like to email the show and get your email potentially read, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Keep them short and sweet like this one coming from Sinbield. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I have no idea. Uh, the subject is glare again, question mark. Hello, Johnny and Joel. In episode 183, you talked a lot about getting used to the new light levels, having to double check then with the F3 debug screen. After playing with the new mob spawning rules for a while, what are your current thoughts about the glare, the mob that would automatically look for dark spots for you? Would it speed up spawn-proofing your builds and getting the light levels just right? Symbiold was killed by a creeper spawned on the single dark spot in my base that she couldn't find. <laughs> well, there you go. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I, as somebody who's inhabiting a cave base, I feel this now. Um, it doesn't benefit from natural skylight, so if it gets dark in there, it's going to get dark in there, right? Um, I'm, I'm still totally behind the idea of the glare. I think it's still something that would be very useful in very specific circumstances, and especially for bedrock players who don't have the F3 debug screen to begin with, they don't really have a, a means of checking light levels other than just looking at the light level around them and thinking, does this look dark enough? Um, I think the difference with the glare versus the allay is that the glare only solves one problem that we occasionally have, at least the way it was described initially. They said there might be some other functionality that they were still trying to work out, but I think most of us are happy enough 
lighting stuff up as we go. You know, you see a space that looks dark enough, you go, okay, I probably better put a torch there. It's an instinctive thing that is trained into you by dark areas being in the game, knowing that dark areas spawn mobs and knowing that you have to light them up in order for them to be safe. So the glare helps with that, but it doesn't necessarily entirely solve the problem. Um, it, it just kind of highlights where the problem areas are for you to, to fix. And since we don't really have a a great way of seeing what that would be like in-game other than players modding it in and players might not necessarily know exactly what Mojang had in mind for it, it's difficult to say. Um, I would still like it to be in the game, but I would like all three of the mobs from the mob vote to be in the game. And in theory, we've just voted for the one that was going to be added first when it came to the LA, so maybe we will see the glare in future. So I've had a different experience now that I've gotten used to the lighting levels. Uh, I find that I can keep things spawn-proof with really minimal lighting. Sometimes mm -hmm. a single candle, um, especially if you've got things decorated inside, like if you've got carpets and a bed down and stuff like that, that's already yeah. blocking spawns in certain areas. Then a candle can usually handle the rest, sometimes two. Uh, so for me, I've noticed that my buildings in particular are pretty mob-free. Uh, when I'm in the process of building something before I've done the final interior design and lit and lit it up, um, I like that I can plunk a single torch in the middle of the floor and cover just about the whole inside, right? Mm -hmm. And not have to worry about having two or three torches around, which is nice. Um, but for me, in my situation, building above ground, if I was to release uh, a glare into a house and say, find the dark spots, the first thing it's going to do is fly outside of the street. Because yeah. that's mm -hmm. where all the mobs are. Because I don't yeah. have any street lights yet. So the only place I'm getting spawns are out in the open areas, which is great because you can see them from a mile away. If the sun comes up, then the zombies and the skeletons light on fire. So there's all kinds of stuff like that that I find is is happening where a, a glare for me, uh, unless you're building a large building, like a big castle or something that has a big hallway, then that could be you know useful. But I don't know if it's something that is going to be just as appealing if it's only looking at light levels. And that's where I go back to the discussion that we had where if they not only will, you know, do their little shimmy if they have a dark spot, but if they can also identify different types of mobs, you know, where a different type of mob would spawn, if it starts to sweat slime particles in a slime chunk, that would be more useful to me than just light layer stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's really going to come down to a big build versus small build thing. And yeah. the, the glade could be really useful for technical players if you're trying to make a mob farm and you want to light up a certain radius of a mob farm and you don't need to dig out an entire perimeter to do that if you take a glare with you and it finds all of the dark spaces and that kind of thing. But I think it's much more viable to use a glare in my situation with this giant dripstone cave base than it is yeah. for you building a town on the surface where you're building lots of small interiors that can be lit up with a single candle or a torch and a lot of it is just outside you know the skylight that acts during the day anyway and prevents mob spawns i think when it comes to the glare versus the other two um, I, I feel like the LA opens up opportunities for solving lots of problems where the glare only really solves one or two um, and so there's potentially a bit more emergent gameplay like we said when we were kind of advocating for the LA when we were covering Minecraft Live in the first place. Um, I would still like to see the glare in future. I think it's a cute looking mob and I think it could have a lot of uh, fun opportunities for just you know immersive gameplay and not having to worry about f3 and lighting and everything else but i do think there are ways around it in the meantime which maybe the la can provide some ways around 
other problems that we have that we hadn't really known about before. Our next email comes from Magpie Tier, a portal to ponder. Hi, Joel and Pix. I wanted to throw out a thought I've had, uh, I've not heard yet on the ancient city portal. Being this new deep dark leans on aspects of horror. What if the frame is not a portal for the player, but if lit, lets more wardens or worse into the world? Light it and instantly think that was a bit of a mistake, wasn't it? Magpie was snatched by the nameless one and was not heard from again. <laughs> oh no. Oh no, Magpie. I did like bigger. Why do they always have to go bigger? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I just yeah. I don't know if I want like a, a big boss mob or something to come out of the portal or a lot of little things. Like I wouldn't want to light the portal and have like fourteen um vexes fly out at yeah. me. In a, in the, a, pa- a Pandora's box kind of way, you're like unleashing yeah. all of the evils into the world. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but I. It, plus, I think that would be really challenging from a technical standpoint because it would enter into the the ancient city, which is a closed space. And I, I guess in some way, if it's if it's something like a wither that destroys things, like you don't want that happening in the outside world. Like you kind of want that to be encased and enclosed, contained. Yeah, contained. Um, but yeah, I think if that was to happen. And then on top of fighting whatever comes out of it, you're also summoning wardens. Like, unless the warden doesn't like it either, and they yeah. get into a, a fist fight, and yeah. you can lean back with popcorn and watch the show. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Have something like yeah, like literally the the warden uh, fights whatever comes through. Yeah, like I I like that idea. What if it lets the Ender Dragon into the world, and then suddenly it flies through all of the blocks, destroying them as it goes? You know, mm. um, yeah, like. Uh, Here's a here's an anecdote that I think I've told on the show before. Uh, on my first time playing Minecraft back on the Xbox 360 edition, when I first built a nether portal, I had read up on it, but I didn't really know all about what it did. And I thought it was going to release nether mobs into my world when I built it. And so I built it on a mushroom island because I knew there were no hostile mob spawns there and I had a mushroom island nearby. So naive picks at the time thought that I was unleashing some kind of horror into the world that way, kind of similar to to what Magpie is suggesting. And considering that one of the loose ideas behind the whole Deep Dark Warden experience is to tap into that scared feeling people had on their first nights in Minecraft, it's not a bad instinct. <laughs> I, I honestly think that there is there is some some kind of uh, like logic to that in a way. Like you you first light your Nether portal, you think, where is this going to take me? What is going to come out of this? I'm effectively building a portal to the underworld, to hell, or whatever you see the Nether as. I think it's it's got an interesting resonance there. Um, people have been asking for an overworld boss for a while, considering the Ender Dragon is the boss of the End, and the ne- the Nether is not necessarily the Wither's home environment, but you get all of the supplies for summoning the Wither. From the nether, it drops a nether star when you kill it, that kind of thing. So people were wondering, is an overworld boss on the way? It might be linked to this. like, Or, you know, if it means going through this portal to somewhere else where we, again, maybe fight another boss. I'm curious to see what kind of experience that that could lead to, because it certainly feels like something we haven't seen in Minecraft for a long time. My cartoonist brain goes to the unseen boss where it's just a bunch of tentacles that come through the portal like a Cthulhu oh, yeah. fight yeah. and you, just, mm-hmm. you don't actually see what it's attached to you just have to fight the tentacles uh i that could be i'm not sure how that would work with minecraft's blocky design but uh yeah like this stuff like there could there could be some opportunities to do some really 
interesting things. It can also be the reverse. Like what, what if you lit the portal provided that it is a portal and it starts, you know, turning the ancient city into a lush cave by like just stuff starts growing. It like terraforms uh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Like what if it just comes out and starts changing the environment entirely? That would be really interesting. So mm. w- w- when I when I read this email, I immediately thought of um, Terraria because Terraria has this concept of hard mode where it's not a difficulty setting that you choose when you set up the world. It's a second stage of the game that begins when you've beaten one of the game's major bosses. And at that point, you've usually explored every biome in the world. So the game starts spawning new enemies and resources in all your existing biomes. And some of them even have this creeping effect where they start to terraform themselves outwards and they take over the surrounding biomes. Like the corruption or the crimson that are biomes in, in Terraria don't tend to take over the landscape until you've beaten the, the wall of flesh that's like the underworld boss in Terraria and you, you unleash hard mode on the world. Um, that brings new bosses, new events, all this kind of stuff. And it gives access to a few other NPCs that give the player some things that they can use to terraform the world as well so suddenly you can start to move biomes around and things like that and while i'm not sure that'd be great for minecraft because i mean with multiplayer servers being so prevalent i can imagine one player getting kind of gutsy and launching the apocalypse and then a few new people joining the server and having to fight it off with wooden tools you know it's got potential i I like the idea of this being sort of a gateway to something transformative about the game whether that's Again, like a boss that changes the game in a certain way or it leads to us having more ability to control the world around us or it starts to control the world around us. That's That's got a lot of potential to it. And once again, this whole portal thing has a lot of potential to it that I don't want to build up too much in case it turns out to be anticlimactic after all of this speculation. Our third email this week is something that we thought we would spin into the main discussion. Do you want to read this one? Yeah, this one comes in from Ladyblade, and the subject is Peaceful Pockets. Hi, Johnny and Joel. In episode 180, a comment was made about having shulker boxes to die in multiple colours in response to a listener email read on the show. What are your thoughts for players who play in Peaceful? What about those who have not reached endgame level or who like to play in Survival but don't feel experienced enough to fight the dragon? I have played Minecraft for a long time, but I have never fought the dragon and never gone to the end to get Elytra or Shulkers. I tried to fight the Wither and failed miserably. Some survival players don't get to endgame level and yet don't want to play in creative either. What alternatives are there for these players for carrying large amounts of blocks without access to shulker boxes or even an ender chest? Lady Blade died of exhaustion from trudging back and forth to storage locations due to lack of shulker boxes. I thought about playing Peaceful as an experiment and the first two problems that always come to my head are like the lack of drops from mob farms and shortly followed by storage. Like, mm-hmm. how am I going to move things around? And my gut reaction to the email was basically abandon the idea of a central storage because you're just, you're always going to have to travel back to that point, no matter where you're building, if that's where you're keeping all your stuff. And instead I I would probably just kind of go with multiple storage locations. So close to the things that you're building Either if you're building all close together, that's fine. But if your builds are far apart, then I would probably have a small room, like a small build room next to whatever it is that I'm I'm building. Uh, I'd probably resist the urge. Well, the hard part would be resisting the urge to mine a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You go mining, you get your diamonds, you do all your things, and then you get like stacks of cobble and you get all kinds of stuff. 
But if you do that, then you just have to move it to where you're going to build. So it might be worth like mining on location. You know, like if you want to build a castle, like your mine for that stone should be under the castle, you know, or, or darn close to it so that you're not really having to travel too far. Um, that's kind of my initial approach. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think source materials at your destination. Like, yeah, en enough materials are going to be abundant or renewable that you can harvest a lot of them there instead of bringing all of the stuff with you. And naturally, if your build is going to require hundreds of stacks of terracotta, but you're not building at a Badlands, then that's going to be a different proposition, right? So my first thought was llamas, because I feel like they're underused in Minecraft, and maybe for good reason. People don't like to involve too many mobs in their, uh, their kind of transport because sometimes it's kind of difficult to make sure they can get over the landscape and everything but once you've got a route established each llama can hold between 3 and 15 items and this is a breedable trait uh you can even breed them so they can potentially have more storage so like llamas with three storage each uh will produce offspring that have three storage but sometimes there's a small chance for them to upgrade and have six storage and once you have one with six storage it's more likely to produce offspring that have six, and the same goes for six to nine, and then nine to 12, and then 12 to 15. So eventually you can end up with a bunch of llamas that have 15 stacks worth of storage in their inventory. If you chain 10 of them together in a caravan, which works really well, like if you put a lead on one llama, 10 other llamas from the vicinity will follow it, and, and that's pretty, pretty like fixed as a mechanic it's it's very very good at having them follow each other you can chain 10 of them together that's storage for 150 unique items which is the equivalent of five and a half shulker boxes so it's still not perfect but then you consider you've got the player's inventory maybe the player is leading the llama from the back of a donkey which also has you know 12 to 15 storage um or a mule you know i think they're quite worthwhile considering um because, yeah, th that way you can carry a great deal of stuff and the only roadblock there is literal roadblocks. It's, you know, what what is going to prevent these llamas from following you in the direction that you're going. At which point, I think just having an excuse to build, like, road infrastructure and make sure that there is a an easy path for you to travel between these two destinations is going to make a lot of sense anyway. And if you're not flying with Elytra then chances are you probably got some sort of overland route that you can take. I don't know how viable it is to bring llamas through the nether, it's probably a big hassle, but you're still going to have the, the ability to bring a bunch of these llamas with you as you go. Can you put, you can put llamas in a minecart, right? Oh, probably, yeah. yeah. And um, the, the other thing about llamas that, thinking about going back to part of the email where um, Ladyblade was talking about uh, dying shulker boxes multiple colors you can even color code your llamas <laughs> because you right. can put different color carpets on them right so you can make sure that the llama that has the green carpet the green kind of like llama drape uh can have you know the organic blocks the grass the saplings the moss you know that kind of stuff so that there is potential for you to be a bit more organized about it and yes like you say llamas could be traveling in minecarts and, you know, minecart rails and chests moved using minecarts are, are potentially also um, a fun option for something like this as well. So there are ways of transporting larger amounts of items with you. It's not anywhere near as convenient as shulker boxes might be. But if anything, that can add a bit of character to your peaceful playthrough and make it 
worth your while making some decisions that the average survival player isn't always going to make. This will take some setup. We've done it underground on the Citadel uh, in Dartmouth Meadows, which usually has, you know, a couple people loading it. Uh, but depending on your render distance and your chunks that are loaded, um, using water now in one with since one thirteen to move items is remarkably quick, uh, and you can move a lot because they could group up and stack and things like that. You just have to have the hopper, you know, capacity on the other end to mm-hmm. get them all into something before they despawn. But if you're just sending like if you're mining and dumping all of your stuff into a chest that's then being spat out into a water stream that water stream will take it as far as it can. Um, and even then, it's not like the items despawn. When they hit render distance, they just kind of group up and then they will continue to flow once you load those chunks. It's just that you'll end up with a lot of items in, in one like fell swoop rather than a trickle. Uh, so that you have to watch that. But other than that, like there's there's definitely ways to move items around depending on, on how far you have to take them. Uh, if it's really far you might end up going to the nether you know closed tunnels in the nether but i this is where this is where my my knowledge is peace mode kind of like falls off so just to kind of refresh my my memory um peaceful mode there's no dragon there's no wither there there is a dragon it doesn't oh, okay. it, it doesn't damage the player if you go to the end but the problem is accessing the end in the first place because if right. you're playing on peaceful there are no blazes you can still get ender pearls from clerics but you can't get eyes of ender because you have no access to blaze powder right so so y- you have to rely on finding an end portal which already has all 12 eyes of ender present which is unfathomably unlikely you have to effectively like you select a seed that has one of those for certain because it's it's very unlikely for it to happen in in you know just a a standard stronghold because you can't remove the eyes of ender from the portal once you've placed them no you can't and i really wish you could actually i feel like that would solve a lot of problems it would make sense right you find one that's got four you find one that's got five and you just kind of collect them until you have enough right i mean tedious yeah, tedious, but you could potentially do it. Uh, yeah, okay, so there is a dragon. Does the wither, you can't make the wither in peaceful yeah, mode? Yeah, no, the, the wither, if you try and make it, would just end up with a soul sand statue with three skulls on, but then you okay. can't get the skulls either because there are no wither skeletons. Right, okay, so all these things, um, that's making sense. Now, do do dungeons still work, like a dungeon spawner? No. Or they just um, not I mean, exist? They, they, they exist, they just don't produce mobs. They just, they don't do anything, okay. Yeah. Um, so really they're just, you're really hamstrung with the amount of, of, um, access that you have to get, you know, you can't, you really just can't get, um, any kind of like progress that way in the game. Yeah. Access Um, to mob drops that are, that come from exclusively hostile mobs is the problem is why slime is a huge issue mm. is why people with, you know, before the advent of composters and the you know easy access to bone meal farms bones were a huge problem and so crop farms had to be grown much more naturally um it didn't matter as much because on peaceful your hunger and your health regenerate so you didn't really need crop farms as much but you know you need bone meal to grow trees and and other things so it's it's definitely an aspect that can affect other gameplay and now you also need bone meal to spread moss, although moss is, of course, a pretty decent source of bone meal in its own right. And so with things like pillager outposts and woodland mansions and ocean monuments, they exist, but they're just empty. Like they're yes. Just ghost yeah. towns. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so you still have access to things like prismarine, if you like, but only what you collect. Like there's a limited. 
yeah, now, yeah, because you yeah. Have to so you, mine out the thing. You'd have to clear out an ocean monument, but you could do that with as many monuments as you wanted in theory, and it wouldn't be any more hassle than just making sure you had some some water breathing potions, which you could get because you can still get nether warts you oh wait no you still need blaze powder for potion brewing you can get water breathing potions from um from treasure chests now from from uh buried treasure chests so potentially you can get water breathing figured out that way or a conduit i i guess um but but, conduit you'd have to naturally fish up a nautilus shell yes yeah you couldn't get them from the drowned so yeah you'll have to you'll have to get them from 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 fishing yeah yeah i mean there's some things like with items and drops like immediately you know like you just mentioned i think bones you're good with moss like if you can get a moss farm going your bone meal you're fine you're not going to miss skeletons at all arrows you'd have to make the old-fashioned way redstone from which farms like with the extended world height there's probably a lot more redstone to collect albeit manually oh yeah and I, you, can, you, know, you can also trade redstone from clerics which is something i right. feel like people forget about sometimes but i find it more effective than having a witch farm because you can actively trade with a group of maybe 10 clerics and you get redstone much faster than you would at a witch farm and the ender chest is something that you that's an eye of ender right not an ender pearl Yes, yeah, so you'd yeah. need to yeah. My 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 solution to that, because there isn't really one, would be to maybe get a fire resistance potion from piglin bartering. Cause I think piglins will spawn if you're on peaceful. I'm pretty sure they at least do on bedrock. The wiki doesn't mention if they do on Java or not. Um but if you barter with piglins to get a fire resist potion, set your world to easy for a couple of minutes at a blaze spawner and then stock up on blaze powder that way i feel like that's the way to do it if you're okay with switching your world to a different difficulty like if you're playing peaceful as a challenge then obviously that's kind of not on the cards but i yeah i I personally think as far as accessing the the end and stuff goes it's not going to be that difficult to switch your world to easy for like a few seconds in a nether fortress make sure you can fight a couple of blazes to get some easy blaze powder and then put it back on peaceful to leave yeah, because the blaze powder, that's a real thing. I would have thought that there would have been no mobs in the world naturally spawning, but the dungeon spawners would have worked because then I would have thought, okay, well, then you've got magma cream from the bastions and you've got um, you've got blaze rods from the blaze spawners, which is the only place you can find those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought it would at least get you that far because then you could at least make an ender chest if you wanted to move things long distance. Like you fill your ender chest up at one location and then just open it up at the other. I mean, it's infinite. Like you could move things across thousands of blocks almost instantly. You know, yeah. just as long as it took you to go some places. So, but yeah, I think that's the, the things that I would notice right away would be the ender chest missing. And um, just when you want to collect mass amounts of stuff, um, the bone meal for like, you know, for me building and decorating and stuff like that for doing landscaping, that's what I would miss immediately. But then that's just early game Minecraft until you get some moss going, then you're just, you're usually off to the races. Um, I don't do enough of the aquatic stuff to really miss it. Like I don't mess with heart of the sea or, conduits like i haven't really needed to so i I don't know if i'd notice that immediately um but something you mentioned about the email uh was transport Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like that that'd be the um the main obstacle for me would be like not just item transport but player transport because if you're not going to the end then that means no elytra so lack of elytra means you're probably going to rely pretty heavily on fast horses convenient roads nether portals for nether transport and then maybe even rail transport and i spent a good chunk of my early xbox worlds making minecart tracks from base to base 
And I probably wouldn't do that now because the Xbox worlds were only 850 blocks square. And so my bases were really just like over the other side of the hill. And so I made like a tunnel uh, and it felt like a lot of work digging that tunnel over multiple days just to get from one side of a hill to another. Um, and so I probably wouldn't do that now in my current world because I've been talking about going thousands of blocks over to the next available, you know, interesting biome. Um and, and rails and tunnels just end up being so much effort for an otherwise relatively slow form of transport. But then a peaceful world invites that possibility because your transport doesn't get a whole lot faster than just how fast can I ride this horse? Um, even for, like like you were saying, item transport using water aqueducts or whatever, you'd probably end up having to ride a pretty fast horse alongside your items to be able to catch up with them in some cases. So, yeah, I, I don't really see much in the way of transport possibilities except for using the things that players so often end up discarding for elytra one alternative though that i just realized um is if you can get depth strider on your boots and you can set up dolphins and waterways then potentially you can travel incredibly fast using dolphins grace but that does involve you capturing a dolphin which is kind of difficult to do and the only way you can really harness a dolphin and get it to go where you want to is with leads and of course for leads you have to wait for the wandering trader to show up because it's very difficult to get hold of slime other than from you know the sneezing baby panda thing so like there's potentially yeah there's there's a few things that are gated behind random events like the wandering trader showing up in your world and and stuff like that that's also by the way uh a a potential roadblock to the llama caravan idea but at least you only need one lead for that so one wandering trader visit stick both his llamas in boats so the leads disconnect you don't even have to fight him and uh yeah then after that you end up with uh with with a caravan of llamas yeah the the lead thing i didn't think about at all because of course involves slime makes sense yes yeah, I, I mean slime and string as well and like you get string from cobwebs and abandoned mine shafts maybe you get that yeah. from occasional dungeon chests but yeah you most of your sources of string are honestly not all that common either um i'm thinking like yeah tripwire hooks in uh jungle temples which is also where you get sticky pistons from so they're actually kind of desirable in peaceful mode there's there's a lot of stuff out there oh seshi summons in our live chat just suggested boating on ice that's a very good point and also brings up the fact that chest boats are going to be arriving in the wild update as right. well which is another thing i keep forgetting about the wild yeah. update and then coming back to so potentially yeah if you're in peaceful mode and you want to transport items a little faster chest boats are going to be very useful to you because imagine 27 slots of inventory that you can you know strap to the back of a boat and then speed off down a a, a packed ice or a blue ice uh tunnel to your destination i i feel like that might end up being the solution to uh ladyblade's email in the end is is being able to travel a lot faster using ice roads uh piston bolt too if you're feeling really adventurous and you want to build something cool yeah that i think can... that that's going to rely on having a lot of sticky pistons though because so much of that relies on pushing your minecart to and fro using blocks i think um, oh okay i'm the, I maybe, the head of the, yeah. the head of the piston won't work yeah no you'd, you'd need a sticky piston to do that unfortunately. Uh, okay um depending on what style of, of piston bolt you're building actually I, I may be wrong about that but i think because it needs a full block for you to collide with for the minecart to move i don't know if a regular piston head would do the job but uh yeah that's that's yeah potentially a, an issue 
And something I did um, on my first Minecraft world when I built what at the time I thought was a long Minecraft track, which it wasn't in terms of like what I know now about Minecraft. Um, but the nice thing about having uh, an, a, a rail that's either enclosed or a rail that's wide open and looks pretty on a peaceful world is that you can basically AFK travel. So like you want to go get a cup of coffee, um, just hit travel <laughs> mm-hmm. and then and then go uh, and and get your cup of coffee and come back and provided it's not going to send you back like if there's like a dismount thing at the other end then you should be fine like you you know it's it's you don't have to necessarily be at the keyboard to travel uh in a peaceful world because you don't have as much to worry about so there is that yeah i think ironically a lot of the technical contraptions thinking of the piston bolt example that benefit most from a peaceful world are ones that require a lot of hostile mob drops like i'm thinking of mm. the the amount of times i've seen people complain about mob spawning if they're using a tnt based tunnel bore which would duplicate the tnt so as long as you find some of that from a desert temple you don't have to worry about not getting gunpowder from creepers but the amount of slime required for that <laughs> kind of necessitates having a slime farm of some kind which is going to be incredibly slow if you're uh, slow if you're getting it from uh from pandas but then that's going to be the best environment to use a tunnel bore because you can guarantee that there are no hostile mobs spawning in the caves so it's a catch-22 it's it's you know the the situation ends up defeating itself and there's no no creepers for gunpowder so there's no tnt yeah i mean the the only tnt you'd, you'd almost have to resort to tnt duping which in itself would still require a lot of slime blocks yeah that's yeah that's it really does i mean it's just for building and like peaceful mode like you really there's not a lot of advancing it's mostly just like picking up what you find mining and and building with it on the subject of advancing i took a brief look at the advancements on the minecraft wiki just to remind myself of what's out there and how many of those it's possible to get in peaceful and the 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 list really reduces i mean we've talked a while about how um they probably wouldn't add any advancements to the game that couldn't be acquired in hardcore mode like there aren't any advancements that require you to die there are some that put you in a position to potentially die it can be very easy to do it if you're um you know falling from build height to bedrock with a water bucket for example but then there are some things which require you to obtain you know items from mobs or something like that that you just can't do those advancements in peaceful mode like return to sender is is a dead easy example of that there's Mm -hmm. you know stuff like zombie doctor you know if if a if you found a zombie villager in peaceful congratulations you've won the lottery because they just wouldn't exist and yeah there are so many things not to mention the entire end branch of of the advancements is just like not achievable so there's (laughs) There's potentially a lot of stuff there that is locked off from you if you're playing peaceful mode. So it really does have to be something which is led by a desire to experience the world around you and to do whatever you want to do in the world around you, mainly through manual means, mainly through building being the primary experience and with your own objectives instead of objectives provided by the game because the game doesn't provide all that many for players who want to play in peaceful. I wonder what villager trading memes would be a thing on peaceful because like you don't need enchanted gear. I mean, maybe for like fall damage on your boots and stuff, but like you, you don't need a lot of that. Um, you really would be focusing on things like getting ender pearls from clerics, um, redstone. Um, like I don't maybe trading for food, but like it'd be, cause you're not, 
you don't you wouldn't be concerned about like everybody goes for the librarians and the best trades in the books does doesn't matter you know mending on your pickaxes and stuff so the toolsmith would be helpful you mm -hmm. know but really like you're not uh you're not going to be trading for the same things that most people in traditional survival trade for yeah i mean considering the amount of fishing you're probably going to have to do to get enough nautilus shells for a conduit you're probably trading all of your fish for emeralds mm. to the fishermen and maybe buying back things like campfires that you want to build terraces with or something like there's there's a variety of things yeah your priorities almost completely change and you're focusing on the people who can give you building resources and maybe xp to mend your tools because you're not going to be able to make an xp mob farm you know the, you wouldn't be able to have the, right. the the option of doing what i did and making an enderman farm it's not going to work out for you you're going to have to uh, probably end up trading with villagers or smelting stuff to get the majority of your xp that's right because there wouldn't be anything to give you xp at all yeah and it's it's a different world and and so fascinating that people make a uh, make a go at playing peaceful either as a challenge or you know just preferring it to playing with uh with hostile mobs around and we're going to wrap up our discussion there but if anybody wants to continue that and have some input on um you know what your experiences are of peaceful mode then we'd be happy to hear from you uh feel free to email in the show and once again keep your experiences short and sweet but if there's something you feel like is worth discussing something we might have missed then please do let us know that's going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks though you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only at discord chat and you can participate in things like the live show recording that's happening right now in discord and our monthly minecraft audio hangout which is going to be sometime later this month we're currently at 333 patrons which is up four from last week thank you so much to everybody new who's hopped on board special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, even YouTube. Be sure to leave us a rating or a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Find the RSS feed on thespawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work, mining out some chunks with moss <laughs> a little bit of the time, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which is back in full swing. You can find us through a quick search on YouTube. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. The Citadel Cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. I don't know what I'm talking about this week, but it's going to be with Brockett. He's always a good time, and that's at thecitadelcafe.com. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I'm streaming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, now at 1 o'clock Atlantic across the board. That's UTC minus 3 for all folks around the world. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and could be a touch more peaceful.